It is good to be with you today. Uh, my name is Koi San. I am one of the pastors uh, here on staff, and I'm excited to open God's Word with you today. We are uh, one Sunday away from Christmas Eve, uh, and so we are in, yeah, we can clap for that. Amen. We're excited to celebrate the birth of Jesus uh, together. And as you know, this season, the Advent season, uh, is a time in the year we take a couple weeks before Christmas to prepare our hearts to celebrate the Incarnation. It's a time of uh, building expectation and anticipation, looking forward to the birth of Jesus. And so today, uh, we are doing that again. In this uh, series we're in, called The Fullness of Time, we have, throughout the weeks, uh, looked at the events leading up to Jesus' birth, one by one. And today, we're looking at the birth of John the Baptist and the Song of Zechariah as the, the last event that we're gonna look at before we get to celebrate uh, the coming of Jesus. One thing uh, you should note that I'm excited about is this series we're looking at, The Fullness of Time. We're actually gonna take this and go the whole way through all the way until Easter because we're gonna look at the events leading up to Jesus' birth. We're gonna look at the events, his works of his life, and we're gonna look at uh, his death and resurrection. So I'm excited that we get um, a lot of time here to look at the events of Jesus' life and, and ponder uh, his goodness in, in all these things. So today we're going to be, if you got your Bible, you can turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 57. And I'm going to pray to set our hearts on the text today. Uh, Lord God, thank you for this place that we can come and worship you. We thank you for the miraculous, wonderful, amazing ways that you work. For the ways that you work that are beyond our understanding, I pray the day that you would snap our hearts into focus you would remind us of your power. You'd remind us of your mercy and your goodness to us in the incarnation of Jesus. Would you be with us today? We need you. Help us to look with eager anticipation for the coming of Jesus. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're gonna look at today uh, the birth of John uh, as a precursor to the birth of Jesus. And so read with me out of uh, John, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. They made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loose and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So we have here a picture of a miraculous birth. Zechariah, his father, was a priest, his wife Elizabeth, uh, and they had prayed for years and years and years that God would give them a son. They were at this point old. They had still no son, uh, but one day when Zechariah is uh, serving as a priest in the temple, the angel Gabriel appears to him and says, your wife Elizabeth is going to conceive and bear a son. His name is going to be John. He's going to be 
a prophet of the most high God. He's gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's gonna go before the Lord in the power and the spirit of Elijah to prepare the people for the Lord. So we have a miraculous birth. The son that the angel had promised has been born. And we see in the promise of the angel that John's entire life is a call to prepare the way for Jesus. And what's interesting, what we're gonna look at today is even the events surrounding his birth serve as a way to prepare the way for the Lord. Right, so we've got this miraculous birth. Elizabeth was advanced in years, and so God gives her a son. Zechariah, when he's in the temple, when the angel says this, he responds and says, how will I know that these things will come to pass? And immediately, his mouth is closed. He's unable to speak. So for the next nine months, the whole term of this pregnancy, Zechariah is unable to speak. He's mute. And so in this episode, we see uh, John is born, and then um, Zechariah has to write on a tablet to say his name is John, right? And immediately, his mouth is open. Immediately, he begins to speak. And everyone is filled with awe and wonder. What happens is the word of this spreads across the entire hill country of Judea, igniting hope for the coming Messiah. They're saying, if God can do this in this birth of John, what's he gonna do when this child is grown? Obviously, the Lord's favor is on this child. They're asking, what is, what is God getting ready to do? Maybe, just maybe, God is gonna send the Messiah. And what happens is as the news spreads, it's like they're snapped into awareness of the power and the wonder of the ways God works. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it's easy to go about my day-to-day -day life not thinking about the power of God, not thinking about the ways that God goes out of the way to provide, to care for us, to show up, to bring his glory, to fulfill his promises. I walk without expectation of that if I'm not careful. It's kind of like uh, one of the things that uh, I love to do in my free time is to go fly fishing. It's one of the things we love to do. Um, and some days it's awesome. The fish are, are rising. Every cast is filled with anticipation. There's some days that the bite dies down, cast after cast after cast, that eventually I'm casting out there without the sense of expectation. I will just, yeah, I'm just here. But then something tugs on the line. A fish jumps. All of a sudden, I'm snapped back into awareness. This could be the one. What's going to happen? I like to think of, of the people like that. They are snapped into awareness, saying, what is God going to do? Because now we remember the power of God. Now we remember his promises. Now we remember the way he works. And so we're asking, what is God going to do? John's birth in this way points us to the coming deliverance of Christ. It snaps the people into awareness. It prepares our hearts for what's about to happen. So Zech, uh, John is born, Zechariah regains speech, and then immediately he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he overflows in a hymn of praise and prophecy. The first words out of his mouth are praise to God, a song of praise and prophecy. Uh, and we're, we're, my wife and I, Ellie, we are in a stage of life where a lot of our friends are starting to uh, build families and become uh, fathers for the first time, and it's, it's a really exciting time. One of the things that we've noticed uh, is that these new dads love to talk about their new baby. Like, there's nothing a new dad likes to talk about more than his precious baby. 
What's noteworthy is that Zechariah's first words really are all about Jesus. Not this miraculous baby John who the Lord has given him. Primarily, the song that he overflows in is about Jesus. We're gonna read that in a minute, and that's where I wanna spend most of our time today, looking at this song of prophecy, and we're gonna see how it shows us that the incarnation, which is an act of deliverance, means that we're free to serve without fear. We're free to serve God without fear. So I wanna break down the text. We're gonna make three observations from it. I'll give them to you now, and then we'll go through them. The first is that the incarnation is an act of deliverance. The deliverance of Jesus is far deeper than mere physical deliverance. And lastly, that through that deliverance, we can have freedom from fear and peace from God. So we're gonna pick up here in Luke uh, 1, 68. Let's read the song that Zechariah overflows in. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days." So if you guys are paying attention, if you see that uh, on the notes or in your Bible, you'll notice that from all the way, verse 68, all the way to 75 is one long sentence. Zechariah's overflowing with praise. He's not stopping for punctuation. He's, this is who I'm praising God for. And if we look at the very end, we'll see the climax of this one long sentence. Verses 74 and 75, God tells us the purpose for doing all this. All the stuff that Zechariah was praising him for. Why does he do it? What's the end goal? That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. Everything above is driving to this one purpose, deliverance. And the incarnation is God's plan to accomplish this deliverance. So knowing this, knowing sort of the big picture, here's the climax of this praise. I want to go back and look through and, and see the way Ze Zechariah talks about this redemption. What is this deliverance going to be like? So back at 68, he starts, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Blessed be God. I want to praise God for these things because he's visited and redeemed his people and he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Now, when he talks about the horn of salvation here, Zechariah is probably referring to the horns of an ox, big, strong animal with really big horns. It's a symbol of power, a symbol of strength and authority. When I read this text and I see the word horn, what comes into my mind is a picture of a bison instead of an ox, a picture of a bison, uh, particularly because I'm uh, a little to say poignantly, poignantly aware of the power of the bison. We, uh, my brother and I, uh, a couple years ago, were out in Yellowstone. We were fishing on Slough Creek, and we were having a great time. It's this beautiful uh, 
part of Slough Creek where on either side is sort of an embankment. There's grassy hills and we're sort of down in this creek. I just landed my first Yellowstone cutthroat. Like I was on cloud nine. I was locked into those fish. What I was not locked into were my surroundings. Um, and I heard the sound that no one ever wants to hear. And it was this sort of low rumbling, sort of low <laughs> grunting sound. The hair sticks up on my neck. I turn around and there are two huge bison right behind me. By the time I turned around, they had already made it down the embankment. And if, if, I don't know if you've seen a bison before. They're huge. Their head it would fill up that door. Like they're massive. They've got these big horns. And they have the power. They have the authority. This bison was king of that creek. And so we got out of there as soon as possible. I mean, I'm like, I was like, I wanted to take a video, but I was also trying to get out. It was wild. But he was huge. He's got the horns. He's got the power. He's got the authority. He's the king. And so when I hear this, I think about horns as a symbol of strength, kingly authority. This buffalo is going to get, or this bison is going to get what he wants, and I'm getting out of the way. But the horn in this passage isn't just any horn of salvation. This horn is from the house of David. So this isn't just any kingly authority. This is the king. Psalm 132, 17 and 18, God promises, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. God promised to establish the throne of David forever. The coming one, Zechariah talks about him, will be the ultimate king the ultimate Davidic king in a way David could only point to. So we now look forward, Zechariah looks forward to a king who will deliver the people of God, who will have the power and authority. He'll be from the house of David, the horn of salvation, the one true king. This is what Zechariah looks forward to and praises God for. And if we move on into verse 70, we see that this whole thing is for the purpose of fulfilling his prophecy. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. This redemption is a fulfillment of prophecy. The deliverance of the incarnation is for the fulfillment of God's promises. To show mercy and remember his covenant. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from the time of his birth, from this time and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Zechariah is not bringing something entirely new here. He's saying that the fulfillment of these things is coming. What the prophets of old have spoken about, it's coming. Redemption is coming. Your hearts are snapped into awareness of the power and promises of God. It's coming. To fulfill God's promises. And what will this redemption look like? It will look like being saved from the hand of our enemies. Saved from the hand of all who hate us. 
By the time John was born, uh, Rome had overtaken Israel, the latest in a long line of oppressors. The people of God are living under constant oppression by the Romans. They have no king. The throne of David is nowhere to be seen. They were waiting and hoping on the promise of God to send a Messiah to free them from the Romans. When Zechariah writes, free from all the enemies who hate us, he's probably thinking about very real, present, physical enemies. They were so aware of their need to be saved from their enemies. The people of God were waiting for deliverance. They were waiting, and it had been 400 years of silence. In 400 years since the last prophet of God, where was God? Had he forgotten his promises? Zechariah says that God will do this in order to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember the holy covenant. Zechariah says God has not forgotten us. God is going to redeem us like he's promised. And this redemption does two things at once. It saves us from our enemies and in doing so fulfills God's covenant the covenant he made to Abraham. It calls back all the way to that, that God told Abraham that he and his descendants would be his people and that he would be their God. He promised to make them fruitful, and give them land, and that through them the nations of the world would be blessed. The deliverance of God shows his mercy and the way that he always keeps his promises. To deliver his people so that they can serve him without fear. And holiness and righteousness. God promises to deliver his people. And Zechariah can say, blessed be God because he has visited and redeemed his people, past tense, because Zechariah knows that the promises of God are as good as done. As it is written, so it shall be, so we can praise God because God has said it's gonna happen, it is done. Zechariah might not have known exactly how this would come to pass, but we do. John's birth points forward to the birth of Christ. John's birth, this miraculous birth, points forward to the birth of Jesus, which is coming right next, and that is far better, more powerful, more miraculous than the birth of John. But it starts our hearts to prepare for that. The birth of John points forward so we can see that the incarnation is an act of deliverance and fulfillment of promise. So what we see in the birth of Jesus is that this little baby is God's perfect plan to accomplish his deliverance. This little baby is the horn of our salvation. But how can this little baby be the deliverer? Because the deliverance of Jesus is far deeper than physical freedom. The deliverance of Jesus is far deeper than physical freedom. Freedom. Let's read on in starting in verse 76. And you, child, talking about John now, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
Finally, Zechariah talks about his son who was just born. But in talking about his son, this is who he's gonna be. Again, it's all about Jesus. John will be a prophet of the most high God. He's gonna go before the Lord to prepare the way. How will he do that? He's gonna bring the knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. So when we talk about deliverance, all of a sudden, we're not talking about deliverance from the Romans anymore. Our understanding has shifted into a different kind of deliverance. This deliverance has something to do with the forgiveness of sins. The deliverance of Jesus is far deeper than physical freedom. The kind of deliverance that Christ would bring had not yet been revealed in full. But we begin here to see hints and signs that the full deliverance of Jesus is gonna be way more than freedom from Rome. Even back in verse 75, it says, we're free to serve in holiness and righteousness. How can a sinful people serve in holiness and righteousness? Time and time again, the people of God throughout history fail to live in righteousness. God redeems them, he saves them. Things are great for a little bit and then they turn their back on God. God saves them from their enemies and then they forget him. They turn their back. That's basically the story of the Israelites throughout the whole Old Testament. God saving them and them forgetting God, walking away and serving other gods. How can a people who are sinful serve in holiness and righteousness? Freedom from the Romans can't accomplish this. This is something far deeper. This has to do with the very fabric of our hearts. This is about holiness before a perfect God. This has to come from something else. In John's life and ministry, and let's not forget, this is all happening right around John's birth. In John's life and ministry, it starts to become clear as he prepares the way, he prepares the nation's hearts for the coming Messiah, that the work of Jesus is so much more than national liberation. John is going to call the people to repent for their sins. He's gonna bring the nation of Israel into an awareness of their shortcomings before a holy God. He will prepare the hearts of a people for the fullness of time when Jesus is gonna come. He's gonna offer a kind of salvation that is far deeper than physical and political freedom. Look at verse 77. Talking about what John will do, he said he will give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. The salvation of God's people will occur through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. Because of God's tender mercy, he sent the incarnate son to free us from our greatest oppressors, sin and death itself. I love, I love this depiction of God in verse 78. He's filled with tender mercy for his people. His heart overflows with affection, tender mercy for you and me. His heart overflows in affection and tender mercy for us in the incarnation. He has mercy enough to free us from our deepest problem. Despite what it would cost, he has mercy enough to deliver us from the curse of sin. God's mercy overflows in the incarnation 
which is an act of deliverance for us. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Because of God's tender mercy, deliverance is gonna visit us like the sunrise from on high like a dawning sun shining light into the darkness. Imagine a dark horizon. Sun has not risen yet. Everything is dark. Just before sunrise, and as the sun begins to rise, the first rays of dawn burst across the horizon. shining light into the darkness. But not just light, what comes with the sun is warmth and life. They come along with the rays of the sun. It bursts across the horizon. Darkness cannot be there because light has sent it away. Light casts out darkness. It casts out the shadow of death. In the radiance and the power of God, death cannot remain. And so it is cast away. Prophet Isaiah looks forward to this. Isaiah 9, 2 says, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. We see that the incarnation is an act of deliverance that frees us from the shadow of death itself. Like a sunrise visiting us from on high. The deliverance of Jesus is far more than political freedom. And the greatest act of deliverance has already been accomplished at the cross of Jesus. There, the incarnate God has freed us from our deepest oppressor, death itself. This incarnate baby Jesus will go on to break the chains of sin and death so that we can have deliverance, even now, from our greatest enemy. The power of sin and death no longer have control over us. The incarnation is the great undoing of the curse of sin, brought into the world so long ago. And friends, if God can deliver us from our greatest oppressor, surely he will care for our every earthly need until he returns. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture speaks exactly to this. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who then can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has given us the most precious and valuable gift, his own son. How will he not also give us everything else that we need? We can be sure if God's willing to give us Jesus, we can be sure that every other need is already yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That every other need is small for our redeemer, God. So we can be free from fear 
not only of the big things, not only free from fear for my eternity, but free from fear that adds up, every little fear that adds up, and instead, he can lead us into the peace of God. The deliverance of Jesus is far deeper than physical freedom. And that deliverance, in that deliverance of Jesus, we can have freedom from fear, peace from God. That's our third observation. In the deliverance of Jesus, we can have freedom from fear and peace from God. We can be free from all categories of fear, free from the fear of the wrath of God, free from the fear of our enemies, free from the fear that I'm not enough. Being delivered from the hand of our enemies, we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. How can we serve a holy God without fear of his wrath if we're stained by sin? Can't. How are we to serve in righteousness if the deepest part of our nature is bent in rebellion against God? We can't. In order to serve God without fear, we have to be purified so that we too are holy and righteousness with the righteousness of Jesus. So that we can be in his presence without fear. So that we can serve out of gratefulness, not out of the fear of being found out. And that's not something we can do ourselves. But in the person of Christ, it is already done. In the person of Christ, our deepest needs are already met. Our deepest fears are already vanquished. All that's left is that we would receive. To be free from fear, we need more than just our physical enemies defeated, more than just our present needs met. We need to know the tender mercy of God rests upon us. We need to know that because of the tender mercy for God, from God, for all eternity, God is gonna be our God. We are gonna be his people. Freedom from every fear of ours is rooted in the freedom from this deepest fear. Because in Jesus, we are not just delivered now, but we are delivered so that we can be free from fear all our days. Zechariah tells us that the Messiah will be victorious once and for all. King of kings, the horn of salvation. Not just a good king, like David, who bought seasons of peace and freedom, but the ultimate king, who secures deliverance forever. He'll be the horn of salvation. No one can stand in his way. The horn of salvation. No one can keep him from his people. No one can snatch us out of his hand. So we are free from fear forever. And not only are we free to serve him without fear, and not only will that extend all our days, but this freedom from fear means that we can have peace from God. So last words of this song, he says that the deliverer will guide our feet into the way of peace. 
says to give light to those who sit in the darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Fear is the opposite of peace. Fear means we cannot rest. It forces us inward, forces us to operate out of self-protection and anxiety. Fear controls. Fear is the opposite of peace. But through the incarnation, God delivers us from fear and gives us peace. He shows us in his tender mercy the path to peace that was bought by the blood of his son. A relationship that's rooted in fear is no real relationship. That's a contract. But perfect love, the love of a father, of the father, accomplished in the incarnate son, applied by the Holy Spirit, casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And in the place of fear, God gives us peace. Our ultimate peace comes from knowing that nothing can take us from the deliverance he's secured. That the enemy has been defeated and this is a better kind of peace than anything that the world might offer. Because the peace of Jesus is a peace that transcends our circumstance. Now I know we all go through hard things. There's some very real fearful things that we can go through. But if we can know that Jesus has delivered us from death, and at the end of the day, he is coming back to make all things right. All those little fears get washed away in the peace of Jesus. We can know that no matter how bad it gets here, that Jesus is king, that Jesus is the horn of salvation, and that he is coming back to make all things new. When we look forward to the incarnation at Advent, one of the things we do is we look forward with anticipation to celebrating the incarnate Jesus, but we also look forward to when Jesus returns, victorious, to bring in the new heavens and the new earth, to finally and forever cast out the pain and curse of sin. Everything broken, he is gonna unbreak. Everything wrong, he is gonna fix, and that when we Praise him. When we look at the incarnation, we ought to have that in our mind too, that Jesus is coming back. And so we can be free from fear now and forever because we know that our king is coming back, that nothing can stop him from getting to his people. In the place of fear, God gives us peace. The incarnation as an act of deliverance means that we are free to serve God without fear. Because of his tender mercy, the Father has sent the Son to take on flesh, to deliver his people from all our enemies and all who hate us, from the power of sin and death and hell. Christ has delivered us from our deepest bondage. And the deliverance of Jesus means that we can have freedom from fear, peace from God. So let us be reminded in this Advent season as we look forward to celebrating the birth of Christ. Just one week away, we look forward to gathering together to celebrate the incarnation. As we do that, let us remember what that means. Let us remember that the deliverance of Jesus means that we are free from our enemies and that we can have peace. And that as we look forward to celebrating 
the incarnation, let our hearts overflow with praise for the tender mercy of God who always fulfills his promises. And the promises of God are as good as done. This is our deliverer. Blessed be God, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in awe of the way you move. We praise you that you are the deliverer, God, that you, through the incarnation, have delivered us from our deepest need. We thank you for the person of Jesus. We thank you for the incarnation that we can be delivered from fear so we can serve you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Pray that you would be so near to us now, Prince of Peace, as we walk through this season, that every fear and every anxiety we have, you would meet us. Promise keeper, God. We praise you for these things. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.